This message was presented at the GYC 2016 conference, when all has been heard, in Houston, Texas. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Father in heaven, we thank you for our Redeemer and for our King and for our friend. We ask you today, Lord Jesus Christ, that you will come and be with us. Open our eyes that we might see your glory. Open our ears that we might hear your voice. And Father, most of all, win our hearts, mine included, because unless the heart is one, everything else is vain. I ask you, Father, that you will give me your words. I thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, this first session is called The Serpent's Whisper, Spiritualism in Our Modern World. We're going to introduce this idea, and then we're going to begin to work it in with Eastern mysticism. But we have to start here first. Our opening text is from Romans chapter 8. And this is something I want you to remember through this entire series. Romans chapter 8, verse 19. We have been told that it is the earnest expectation of all creation that is waiting for the manifestation of the sons and daughters of God. Now in the King James, which is what I read from, it says the sons of God. And I always thought, you know, why does, it, why does it just limit it to sons? And I looked that word up in the Greek, and I was surprised at what I found. The word sons literally means children that have been begotten of God. So that's girls and boys, sons and daughters. But it's not adopted. It's begotten. It says in... In 1 Peter, and it also tells us in, uh, in the Gospel of John, that we are begotten again, not by corruptible seed, but by incorruptible. By the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Now, I've got to be careful, because I could, I could stay right here for the next hour, and we could just share just on this one verse. But there's something that is absolutely essential for us as Seventh-day Adventist Christians to recognize. Number one is the Word of God lives and it abides forever. Now I want to ask you something, and I do enjoy a response. How did God create this world? How did He create the universe? He spoke, and it was. He commanded, and it stands fast. 
Now let me ask you a question. How many people in here have ever been to a big city and you're walking down the sidewalk and there on the asphalt there's a crack in the sidewalk and you see grass or you see some little twig pushing its way up through that asphalt? Have you ever seen that before? Let me tell you why. Because 6,000 years ago, Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, spoke one sentence and he said, let the earth bring forth grass. And it's still obeying him today. That same word that spoke light in the darkness, that spoke, let this grass come forth, and it obeys, that same word is the word that has spoken our new birth. And it abides forever. Now I want to show you the war. We're all familiar with the great controversy, correct? There was war in heaven, and the great dragon was cast out. That old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. How many people have heard this verse before? Me too. I was raised in our church, in our faith, as a Christian. And when I used to hear this verse, even, even when I was younger, like, you know, two years ago, what I always thought about was, in the last days, there's going to be this great deception. Satan is going to, he's going to blind people's minds. And, and I'm, not, I'm not negating that. Yes, we know that's coming. Yes, we know that Satan is going to appear and proclaim himself to be Christ. But there's something greater here that the Lord wants us to see. It says that great dragon, the old serpent. The word serpent means to hiss, to whisper, to enchant, or to cast a spell. That's what the word serpent literally means. Called the devil, our adversary, and hasatan. That means the accuser, which deceives the whole world. Do you know the deception that he has deceived the entire world with? Let me tell you, it started in Genesis chapter 1. What do you think happened when God and Christ formed Adam from the dust of the ground? I mean, think in your mind for a minute. I mean, we're going to use sanctified imagination, okay? Sanctified. We go back there and we see Christ taking his hands and forming this man that was perfect. And he breathes into his mouth the breath of life. And Adam opens his eyes. Can you imagine what it was like for Adam? He, he wasn't created as a child. He was a full-grown man in maturity. And he opened his eyes for the first moment and he looked up into the face of our Creator. 
What went through his mind? I mean, can you imagine that? Now, what do you think Christ said to him? I created you. You are my son. The Bible tells us in the Gospel of Luke, I believe it's in Luke, in the lineage of Jesus Christ, it traces it all the way back to Adam, and there's a statement right at the end of the lineage. It says, and Adam was the son of God. Amen. Satan says, you're not a son of God. You're not a daughter of God. If you were a son of God, why did you do that bad thing that you did yesterday? Why do you still have thoughts you're struggling with? Why do you... He accuses constantly, and he deceives. Because if he can make you and I believe that we are other than what the Word of God clearly declares we are, sons and daughters of the living God, then he's got us. And you know what will happen to us? Every one of us will go about with all our might, like the children of Israel did, and say, I've got to fix this. I've got to fix myself. And, and I know if y'all are like me, you've probably been trying your entire life and it hasn't worked. On your best day, we've all probably still failed miserably. All of our righteousness is filthy rags. So Satan has tried to deceive the world. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field. And he said unto the woman, and this is implied, Yea, hath God really said? That was what the Hebrew implies. Did God really mean that? I know that's what it says, but that can't literally mean that. Those of you that are in college or in university now, you're probably going to hear some professors and some textbooks that are going to say that very same thing. And I want you to know that it's not your professor that's saying that, it's the Spirit that has inspired those words. I know it says that, but it can't really mean that. I know it says that God created everything in six days, but that's not literally six days, right? Have you heard that before? How about, how about other texts of Scripture? One of the ones that I used to really have trouble with was the place where Jesus said, If you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say to this mountain, Be removed, and it shall... I can't hear you. Everybody's still waking up. What did Jesus say would happen? If we have faith as a grain of mustard seed, we would say to this mountain, be removed, and what would happen? Do we believe that? And you know, I asked a pastor one time, and I'm not condemning the pastor, because he was just like me. I was like, what do you think this means? He said, I know it says the mountain will be removed, but... It's talking about the mountains of trouble in your life. And I was like, okay, well, that makes me feel better. You know, that, you know, my faith is not as weak as I thought. 
And then I went back as I got older and I read that text again. And Jesus said this right after he cursed the fig tree. He looked at this fig tree. He said, you should have fruit on you because you've got great leaves. There's no fruit. He said, let no fruit grow on you from henceforth forever. And he walked away. The next morning, he and the disciples are walking out of Jerusalem, and Peter is standing there walking beside Jesus, and he looks over and he sees that same tree. And it's dried up at the roots. And he's like, John, Andrew, look. And he said, Jesus, look at the tree. And Jesus said, why are you surprised? If you have faith in God's Word, you can do the same thing that you just saw me do. Satan does not want us to believe that. From eternal ages, it was God's purpose that every created being, from the bright and holy seraph or angels, to man should be a temple for the indwelling of the Creator. I want y'all to go back, I challenge you, go back and read the first two chapters of Patriarchs and Prophets. I just recently have begun to learn what God's Word says and what He has inspired. Every created being, even the angels, were created to be temples for the indwelling of their Creator. And when you read in Patriarchs and Prophets what happened when Lucifer fell, I was amazed. Satan is there in heaven, and God speaks through that still, small voice. His Spirit whispering, impressing us, influencing us. And do you know what Satan said? I don't need your influence. Let go of my hand, Daddy. You remember when your children... Well, let's give you an example. My son. I can remember when my son and daughter were five years old. You know, we'd go to the mall or we'd go out somewhere. And they did not want to let go of my hand because they were nervous. Or we got near a big intersection. And then they hit a certain age and they go, let go. I mean, Dad, let go. I'm big enough. I can do this. I don't need you holding my hand anymore. Right? Satan said, I don't need your divine influence. I don't need you whispering in my ear what's right and what's wrong and what's the best way to do this. Ellen White tells us in Patriarchs and Prophets, he actually told the Lord, he said, we were made holy just like you. We can no more sin than you could. We don't need your divine influence. It was God's design that every created being should be a temple for the indwelling of the Creator. But because of sin, humanity ceased to be a temple for God. Darkened and defiled by evil, the heart of man no longer revealed the glory of the Divine One. And I've got to be careful here because like I said, 
we could stay right here. This is so important. As Seventh-day Adventist Christians, and I'm the most guilty, we have gotten into such a habit of thinking that the mind and the intellect is all that God is seeking to win. I can look at the, at the Ten Commandments and I can go, you know, logically, Saturday's got to be the Sabbath. I think I'm going to just stop working on Saturday because I don't want to get the mark of the beast. And I walk away and I say, I'm, I'm good. That's not salvation. That's not salvation. The heart has to be one. The heart has to be one. It says there, the heart of man. This. This means your affections and your desires. If a husband and a wife get married and, and the husband says, you know what, I'm just going to grip my teeth and stick it out. I'm not saying that you shouldn't do that on bad days. But if that's all there is, if there was never any affection, if there was never any drawing out, then there will never be a sacrifice of yourself on behalf of the other. We will not be able to sacrifice ourselves on behalf of our Redeemer if all we have is head knowledge. There has to be more. The deception of sin had reached its height. All the agencies for depraving the souls of men had been put in operation. This is talking about Christ's first coming. When Satan saw God create mankind, and he knew from heaven God wants to dwell in them, he said, I've got to take God's place. I've got to take God's throne. I have to take possession of his temple. It says the Son of God looking upon this world beheld suffering and misery. And with pity he saw how men had become victims of satanic cruelty. He looked with compassion upon those who were being corrupted, murdered, and lost. They had chosen a ruler who had chained them to his car as captives. Bewildered and deceived, they were moving on in gloomy procession toward eternal ruin, to a death in which is no hope of life, toward night to which comes no morning. I want to pause here just for a moment. I'm not reading these, these statements to you because I read them. I'm reading these statements to you because I've been there. All of us have been there. But because of my involvement in the Eastern martial arts and Tai Chi and Qigong and Bagua and Aikido and all the Eastern healing, I spent 25 years training and teaching in that. And because of that, it brought me into a bondage in my life that destroyed not only my life, but it destroyed my wife and my children. And I'm not going to tell the whole story today, but because of me doubting God's Word, and because of the influence of the serpent, 
my wife and I wound up divorced for almost five years. And during those five years, she fasted and she prayed and she kept claiming God's promises like she had never prayed before. And God did a miracle. Not because I deserved it, but because he promised. And I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to highlight this. When my wife and I first started struggling, <clears throat> we thought we were fighting against one another. And a lot of times, there may be some of you in here that have issues with your mom or your dad, and you feel like, man, why does my dad treat me that way? Why is he always on my case? Why is my mom always doing this? And we may be parents and we're thinking, why is my son and my daughter always doing this? We are not wrestling against them. We're wrestling against the spirits of darkness that are influencing. So when my wife was there and she, she saw me get in my U-Haul truck and drive away and abandon her and my children, and she was like, I don't know what to do. How God, I mean, we're a Christian family. We go to church every, every week on Sabbath. We're vegetarian. We're, we have all this head knowledge. What do I do? And God spoke a promise to her, one promise. In Matthew chapter 19, he said, What I have joined together, let no man put asunder. And do you know what? People at our church, they would come up to my wife and they would say, Sarah, honey, he, he's been gone for two years. He's been seeing another person, another woman, for two years. You, the judge signed the papers. You're legally divorced. And my wife would hear God's word say, let no man put asunder. That means not even the judge. And, and if you've already been through a divorce, I'm not condemning you, okay? God's not telling you to throw that one away and go back and try to make amends. What God says is, this is where you are today. Walk in righteousness from this day forward. But let me tell you something. I remember one day when this lady came up to my wife. My wife and, and children were there at church. And my, my son was three when I left, and my daughter was six. And my wife came in there with, with these two little children, and this lady meant well, but she came over and she patted my wife on the shoulder and she said, Sarah, honey, we're praying for you. And my wife had been wrestling with Satan every day, 24 hours a day, listening to him whisper in her heart and her mind. And my wife looked at this lady and she said, ma'am, do you believe my husband's coming home? And that lady looked and she said, Sarah, we're worried that you're going to cause your children to lose faith in God. Because what if Eric doesn't come home? And my wife looked at her and she said, you don't believe. I don't want your prayers. She said, don't pray for me. If you don't believe, don't pray for me. I don't need prayers that, that people don't believe. Now, I know that seems cold, but you know, Jesus did the exact same thing when he went in to raise that little girl from the dead. He put every one of his disciples out except for three. Do you know why? 
they were doubting. He put them all out because a little leaven will leaven the whole lump. Satanic agencies, what's that word? Were. I need y'all to talk up a little bit. I know it's early. Incorporated. What does incorporated mean? To come in to union, to, to oneness, incorporated. Take time to look at these words. Satanic agencies were incorporated with men. The bodies of human beings that had been made for the dwelling place of God had become the habitation of demons. How many people in here have ever heard a sermon on demonic possession? That's more than most. Most congregations you go to and you ask that question, you might have one person raise their hand. We typically as Christians don't talk about that. It's sort of like a taboo subject. You know what's amazing? Somebody that's possessed, it doesn't mean that their head turns around backwards and they're vomiting green stuff and they're cutting themselves all the time, necessarily. Do you know Ellen White says that Judas was possessed with a demon of selfishness. Selfishness had gotten such a hold in his life that it controlled his life. She talked about one of the strongest demons that there was to overcome, she said, was the demon of appetite. She said that was the first place that Adam fell, that was the first place that Christ had to win back. The senses, the nerves, the passions, the organs of men were worked by supernatural agencies in the indulgence of the vilest lust. The very stamp of demons was impressed upon the countenances of men. Have you ever walked through a, a place and you'd see somebody and you knew something was not right inside of their heart because of what was on their face or what you saw in their eyes? I don't watch television anymore, like regular television. But I can remember when I used to watch MTV or when I used to watch some of the sitcoms or just regular, and you'd see people's faces and you'd go, what's inside of them? Such was the prospect upon which the world's Redeemer looked. What a spectacle for infinite purity to behold. Wherein can Christ behold His likeness? Then we read in Isaiah, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer? How art thou cut down to the ground which did weaken the people? Do you want to know what weakened us? These demonic influences. For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation. I will be like the Most High. Do you remember that statement we read from Sister White? She said it was God's purpose that every created being should be a temple for the Most High, right? That's what Satan said. 
I know we may see Satan set up his throne in Rome or in Jerusalem. I have no doubt we're going to see some sort of a physical manifestation of that event. But more importantly, we should recognize the spiritual. In Revelation chapter 18, verse 1 through 4, the Bible tells us that before Christ returns, every human being that is alive will be either possessed completely by the Spirit of the living God, or they will be the, the whole of every unclean spirit and the cage of every hateful and unclean bird. You're talking about demonic possession. Selfishness, bitterness, envy, jealousy, hate, lust, appetite, intemperance, cursing, swearing, blasphemy. You name it, there's a fallen angel that that's what they're there for. And those that have not sought to have the temple cleansed now will be left with the temple uncleansed. Okay, now we want to look at a statement and we're going to start introducing the Eastern mysticism. You all are familiar with this. When Protestantism shall stretch her hand across the gulf to grasp the hand of the Roman power, when she shall reach over the abyss to clasp hands with spiritualism, when under the influence of this threefold union, our country shall make provision for the propagation of papal falsehoods and delusions, then we may know that the time has come for the marvelous working of Satan and that the end is near. I want to tell you something. This is not next year. It's happened now. And I want to show you what really struck me. I'm still young. I'm only 47. And this really, really got my attention. I think visually... I mean, I draw pictures when I'm reading my Bible. I, I, I make notes and I, I draw. I, I want to be able to see it. And I was like, okay, when we reach our hands over the gulf to grasp the Roman power, I thought, I can see Protestants grasping hands with Rome, right? Y'all saw the video with Tony Palmer and Ken Copeland. And, I mean, and we've had stuff before that. But, I mean, you can see that. You can see us grasping hands. Rick Warren, purpose-driven life. And he's shaking hands with Papa. But then I, I had this question come to me. I can't picture us shaking hands with the state of the dead. And I thought, you know, because spiritualism's the state of the dead. That's how I grew up believing. And I thought, how are we shaking hands with the, the doctrine of the state of the dead? Does it mean we're accepting what the world teaches about this? I said, Lord, there has to be something more. This is what I found. When I looked up the word spiritualism in Ellen White's writings, I found that she used... Two words almost interchangeably. 
spiritualism and spiritism. I'm going to just take a look at how this came into the United States. The birth of spiritualism in America, and I want you to think about the birth of the Advent movement. The Fox sisters, how many people have ever heard of them? I grew up, my mom reading those little red books to me about the wrappings, and I'm a little boy and I'm thinking, this is just stuff out of some little red book by some old lady that lived long ago. And then when I was doing the research back in 2008 to start on this series, I, I looked up the Fox sisters, not from Adventist sources. I just looked it up on Google. I was amazed at what I found. There's newspaper articles all over the country about them. There were Protestant pastors that were condemning spiritualism that weren't even of our faith. Huge articles and books that were being written by Protestant men of God that were saying, this is wrong. The Fox sisters, they lived from 1814 to 1890. Isn't that an interesting time frame? The Ouija board. It was created and made popular by a man named Elijah Bond. Um, it was promoted and released, to the best of my memory, in 1890. Parker Brothers, I believe, picked it up, and you could go and buy it at any Kmart, Walmart, whatever, shopping center. Spiritualism. How about H.P. Blavowski? Anybody familiar with her? She was the founder of the Theosophical Society. If you do the research on her, which I don't encourage that you dig too deep, all of her teaching came from the men, the gurus that she learned from in India. So she traveled to India to learn their spiritual disciplines. And then do you know where she lived? She lived just a little while away from Ellen White. And she was alive at the same time. So when Ellen White warned about theosophy, it wasn't like some just some random thing. She was living in the New England states where all of this New Age mysticism was being brought into this country. Now I want to show you something interesting. Spiritism, the definition is the study of communication with spirit entities. It was introduced to the Christian West by a man named Alan Kardec who lived from 1804 to 1869. Spiritualism is the practice of communicating with the dead, usually through the use of a medium or channel. That's interesting to me. The media and changing channels. Um, one of the gentlemen... Little Light Studios, Keith, has got a documentary that they've begun working on. And he found some information on this that floored me. The man that developed the television tube, the man that developed radio, all of these men that developed the media, when you go back and you read the history, do you know why they all developed it? Every one of them was trying to make contact with a loved one 
that had passed away. And they thought through the media, we'll be able to do this. No joke. You can go on the Audioverse and, and look that up. His name is uh, Keith Detweiler from Little Light Studios. It's a powerful audio, and they are working on the video for it. As we near the close of time, there will be greater and still greater external parade of heathen power. I first heard this quote by a pastor named Pastor David Gates. And my family and I were listening to him preach, and he read this, and I was floored at what it says. It says, Heathen deities will manifest their signal power and will exhibit themselves before the cities of the world. And this delineation has already begun to be fulfilled. The word signal means... Um, I think the best way to describe it, it means the, the way that they manifest. It was a demonstration of their power. They, the way that they demonstrated their power would be through an external parade within human beings. And when this was written, the writer said this had already begun to be fulfilled. Already in the 1800s. And then she said, all need wisdom carefully to search out the mystery of iniquity that figures so largely into the winding up of this earth's history. Now I want to tell you something. There's two mysteries talked about in the Bible. The mystery of iniquity and the mystery of godliness. Two mysteries, and we're going to be examining those through this series. Chi energy. This was me when I was younger over on the far right. This was my best friend over on the far left. Um, he's still in the martial arts. His name is Alan. I ask that you all will lift him in prayer every day. I was in it for about 25 years. He's been in it for over 30-some now. The man to my left, his name was C. Joe, Dana Miller. He was a tenth Don in two systems of Kung Fu. And he was a master instructor in Chinese Qigong. He's in his 50s right here, close to 60, when I was training with him. But one of the things that struck me was when I went down to see him one time, because he only taught black belts. You could be a black belt in whatever style, it didn't matter. But if you were a black belt, he would train you. And he would do a lot of the training during the day. But then on special occasions, he would ask all of us to stay and have dinner with him that night. Then we would sit around and talk or maybe play a game or whatever. And then maybe we'd watch a movie and then it would get really late, and then he would cut everything off and start teaching us again. And when I say teaching now, I'm not talking about physical training. He would start teaching us about chi, about energy, about how do you develop this power that, that the black belts demonstrate. And I remember this night because he was there talking and he began talking about like conspiracy theories and I mean all kinds of just 
far out stuff. And a lot of it I was familiar with. So I wasn't bored. I was listening. The other guys that were there, they were just like, I was watching them and you could just see them. I mean, they were nodding off and they were fighting to keep their eyes awake. Because if you go to sleep while the Grand Master is teaching you, um, that can kind of put you behind by a year or two before going up for rank again. You understand? It's like if you fall asleep in the professor's class, it's probably not going to do real good on your final grade. So I'm watching these other guys, and I'm wide awake because I want rank, I want to learn, but I also didn't mind hearing about the conspiracy stuff. Everybody else was like really fighting to keep their eyes open. And after everybody got so exhausted, I mean so exhausted, 2 a.m. in the morning, then he opens his mouth and he says something out of nowhere. He said, y'all want to know what chi is? He said, let me give you an example of chi and internal power. He said, watch Jimi Hendrix. Watch Eric Clapton. Watch some of the great actors that we have in Hollywood. They're exercising chi, only they call it and know it by a different name. And he said that to me, and it was like, I mean, here I, I'm, I was a Seventh-day Adventist. You know, I'd walked away from the Lord. I'd been gone from the Lord for a number of years. But there were red flags that were going up, and alarm bells were going off. I was like, what? I mean, I knew about chi, you know, when you're breaking bricks or when you're breaking coconuts with your palms or when you're, when you're moving people without touching them or when you're changing the temperature of your body, you know, with your mind. I knew about that kind of chi. And now this man tells me that Eric Clapton and Jimi Hendrix and many of the great actors in Hollywood are using the same power to do what they do? A number of years after that, I went, I went to visit him. And I, I showed up at the martial arts studio by myself, and he was going to be training me one-on-one -on -one that day. And right as we were getting ready to start, um, one of the other black belts, a younger black belt, came running in, and he had this big piece of artwork, and it was wrapped up in brown paper. And he brought this artwork in, and he said, See Joe, which means founder or grandmaster. He said, See Joe, it's here, it's here. He was so excited. And, and the grandmaster said, I've, I've been waiting on this. He said, thank you. What that meant was go home, leave now. So the other young man took off, and that left me and the grandmaster there. And I asked him, I said, what's in it? And he said, let's take a look at it. And he pulled that paper off, and there was this beautiful piece of Chinese calligraphy that he had uh, paid a Chinese person to paint for him. And I looked at it, it was beautiful, because the calligraphy is always, it's gorgeous, you know, when you see somebody that really knows how to do it. But I had no idea what it meant. I mean, I was familiar with some symbols, but not all. I couldn't read Chinese to save my life. And I asked him finally, I said, okay, see Joe, I said, what does it mean? And he looked down, and he looked back up at me, and there was a different look in his eyes. And he said, it means it's the devil that's in the details. 
what do you say? And what do you say? This man, I had no doubt that he knew what he was talking about. I had no doubt he knew what he was talking about. And there were chills that ran up and down my spine because I was a fifth dawn in Chinese Kung Fu. I had seven black belts in other styles. I was training heavily in Chinese internal arts of Tai Chi Quan and Bakwa and Qigong and Aikido and Filipino martial arts, all these styles. This man knew. He said, it's the devil that's in the details. And he had paid to have that done in Chinese calligraphy. Now I want to show you. What time do we have? Because I... We've got 15 more? Okay. And if we have to pause, we'll pause and we'll just pick up you know, on the next one. It may run over a little bit. This is a, a quote from Robin Williams. Are you all familiar with Robin Williams? Those of you that are over 10? Okay. This is what he said, and I, I, I feel so sorry for this man because he took his own life because of what he's about to say. He says, yeah, literally, it's like possession. All of a sudden, you're in. And because it's in front of a live audience, because he used to be a live performer as a comedian, because it's in front of a live audience, you just get this energy that just starts going. But there's also that thing, it's possession. In the old days, you'd be burned for it. But there is something empowering about it. I mean, it's a place where you are totally. It is Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, where you really can become this other force. I want you to pay attention to the words they use. Maybe that's why I don't need to play evil characters in movies. Because sometimes on stage, you can cross that line and then come back. Do you understand an actor is pretending, right? Right? Have you ever seen somebody that's only been acting for a little while? You can tell. It's hard to act like something that you're not. The reason why is because it's lying. It's against the nature that God put within us. That's why Ellen White said we're to have nothing to do with drama. It's a lie. Now, let me tell you something else. Aleister Crowley, the number one icon in rock and roll and in Hollywood, said if you want to know how to become possessed, the easiest path to possession is through drama and acting. That's his words. That's not a Seventh-day Adventist or a Christian. That's his words. And yet we'll argue with what the council has been given us. We'll argue. I argued. And they're telling you the same thing. Oprah Winfrey. How many people have heard Oprah Winfrey, uh, Oprah Winfrey claim to be a Christian? Or claim to believe in God? Listen to what she says. I ask God for grace and the power of the spirits 
calling on you, calling on you. I really believe I can call her, this spirit, up. Her and so many others. Oprah Winfrey calls these her go-there moments. Spiritual episodes of divine guidance that far transcend the charity ex- the chatty exchanges with her studio audiences. Winfrey says that she has come to know each of them, of these spirits that she calls to do her acting. She has come to know each of them personally. That's called a familiar spirit. And she calls them in at will to guide her in her work. That was... June 24, 2001, Time Magazine, an interview with Oprah Winfrey. How about Michael Landon? What what show did he put on television? Little House on the Prairie. What? That's a Christian show. Let me let you listen to his own words. I felt my father's presence with me, enlightening my memories, helping me to commit to paper the feelings I had. I really heard my father speaking to me from the other dimension, filling my mind with just the right words. The story came so fast and was so right, in three days the script was complete. You can read interviews online with his daughter, and she said he would go into a room and would hear his father telling him how to write the script. And she, she said he would come out and it would be perfect. And it would be done in a day or two. She said sometimes he would stay up all night and come out of that room the next morning with the script for an entire show completed. That's impossible by human power. Now I'm going to show you a short clip And you have to forgive me for the technology because I'm still learning how to get all this the way it needs to. Um, I don't know if we have audio that will reach it. So let me see. If not, I can kind of tell you again once we finish. Is it possible that these actors and actresses are possessed by demonic spirits who have a specific agenda to fulfill? Oscar award-winning actor Denzel Washington told 60 Minutes exactly how he brings forth his best performances. Basically what I did was got on my knees and sort of communicated with the spirits. And when I came out, I was in charge. Powerful scene. Powerful scene. I couldn't have acted that. I couldn't have written that down and made a decision to play that. Okay. I apologize about that. What he just said, and you can find this online, what he just said was, on 60 Minutes, he said this was a a film he had done that got unbelievable reviews. He said, 
I could not have acted what you just saw. He said, and the man that was interviewing him from 60 Minutes said that was a powerful scene. And Denzel Washington said, but I could not have written that down and said, I'm going to act this. And he asked him, he said, well, then how did you do this? He said, well, it was sort of like this. I got down on my knees and I asked the spirits that were there in that event that I was portraying to come and take possession of me. Now you don't have to act anymore. You're not pretending anymore. Um, Nicholas Cage, how many people have heard of him? He said the same thing. Nicholas Cage said, I don't like for people to call me an actor. He said, acting implies that I'm lying, and he said, I'm not good at that. He said, what I do is more a type of shamanism. He said, I channel the spirits and I become a vehicle for them to portray what I'm trying to show. That's startling. And I will work on this before we do the next one and see if we can get the, the audio correct. Um, We'll just fast forward real quick. For ages, Satan with his evil angels had been seeking to control the bodies and the souls of men, to bring upon them sin and suffering. The deception of sin had reached its height by the time that Christ began his ministry. All the agencies for depraving the souls of men had been put in operation. Satanic agencies were incorporated with men. The bodies of human beings made for the dwelling place of God had become the habitation of demons. Satan was exalting that he had succeeded in debasing the image of God in humanity. The fact that men have been possessed with demons is clearly stated in the New Testament. The persons thus afflicted were not merely suffering with disease from natural causes. Christ had perfect understanding of that with which he was dealing, and he recognized the direct presence and agency of evil spirits. I'm going to mention two more people just for those of us that are a little bit older. Um, Marilyn Monroe. How many people have heard of her? Okay, how about Mae West? She was a little bit farther back. Do you know that both of those women who were known as uh, vixens in Hollywood, they were icons of immorality in Hollywood, um, you know, they were attractive women. Both of those women claimed in their own words that the way that they could act, the way that they could influence us was because they channeled spirits. What was so sad was is that I saw a photograph of Marilyn Monroe 
um, sort of a natural photograph when she was younger. And you see this woman, and, and she's attractive, but then you look in her eyes, and there was an emptiness in her eyes that was so sad. I mean, it was, it was empty. Like she was desperately afraid and lonesome and struggling and did not know how to get free. And then you look at her on her deathbed, at what a wreck of humanity she was. This woman that, that the world looked up to, and she was just, there was nothing there. I mean, she was ruined. And she said something that, that it really struck me. She said, sometimes I feel like I'm more than 30 different people. She said, sometimes I wish it was just me. Those were the spirits that had come in. When we opened the door, hath God really said? How much time do we have left, Roberto? About two minutes. Okay, we're going to take two minutes, and then we'll have about a 15-minute break, and we'll come back and just pick up. Martial arts, Tai Chi, yoga, and Eastern mysticism. This is where we're going with this. And the reason that I'm wanting to, to show you this is because it's through these avenues of spiritualism and Eastern mysticism that Satan is joining the hands. You saw, you saw Protestantism reaching over the gulf and grasping hands with Rome. We're there. We're there. But then you see Ellen White said we would take hands with spiritualism. Spiritualism is not simply the state of the dead. It's Eastern mysticism. Let me share something with you. If you get the Catholics and the Protestants and the Seventh-day Adventists, you get all of us together, right? And you say, okay, we all believe in Jesus, we can agree on that, and we, we break down every other barrier. Okay, fine. What do you do about the Muslims? Well, are we not seeing the same thing happen there? Walls are being torn down. We, we're being told that they worship the same God that we do, and I'm not going to take time on a whole lecture with that, but if you look at the character of Allah, and you look at the character of Jehovah, or Yahweh, it's not the same God. If you read the Quran, and the Quran says that Allah cannot have a son, well, that makes it Antichrist, according to 1 John. Whoever denies the Father and the only begotten Son is Antichrist. But they're tearing this wall down so that you can get the Muslim faith in there with Protestantism and Catholicism. My question was, what do you do about all those Buddhists and Hindus and Taoists? They're bigger than the Catholics or the Muslims. I mean, you've got billions of Hindus and Buddhists. How do you get them to come home to Rome? The only way you can get them to come home to Rome is if we agree that we're all serving the same God. So through Eastern mysticism through spiritual formation, through the martial arts, through yoga being brought into our churches, 
we are introducing the Eastern God, which is a pantheistic God. And Rome has already said, that's the God we serve. Protestants now are being taught, that's the same God, it's a pantheistic God. So when Buddhists now look at us, they can say, we've got things in common. That's where this is leading. We'll stop there and we will pick up in about 15 minutes with part two. This message was presented at the GYC 2016 conference, when all has been heard, in Houston, Texas. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.